everyone. I'm Margie Alanese, and this is Farm Her Talks, thoughtful conversations to connect and inspire the farm her in all of us. As each and every one of us knows, in agriculture, there are tough issues, just like there are everywhere else in life. But sometimes in agriculture, they arise, especially when it comes from farm families, because they're working together and their families. Art is often used as a gateway for exploring those difficult issues within the family, and it is an avenue to have these conversations. But art isn't always about entertainment. It has the power to educate, to move us, and to prompt deeper reflection about who and why and where we are. Whether that's music, movies, pieces of art, you name it, it has and always will be a great outlet and a place to discuss those not so comfortable issues. However, access to the arts can be difficult for people living in rural communities and depictions of rural life and art can too often be like a caricature. In today's episode of Farm Her Talks, I'm hoping to engage both artistic and agricultural leaders in exploring a world premiere work where they're hoping to spark conversation around difficult issues for farm families in Iowa and beyond. I'm talking about the Des Moines Metro Opera and their premiere of A Thousand Acres. First, I'll talk to Michael Agel, General and Artistic Director of the Des Moines Metro Opera. We'll be talking about his role at the opera and more specifically about A Thousand Acres, their new opera, Tough Subjects Covered, his focus on female creators, and the why behind A Thousand Acres. Then we'll chat with two ladies, Liz Garce, who joins us from White Rock Conservancy, along with Mary Swander, whose play, Map of My Kingdom, was part of the event held there in partnership with the opera. We talk at Farm Her about where agriculture meets art all of the time because Farm Her was based out of my idea for a photography project and the idea that showing more women through my photography could help us all see women differently in agriculture. And that has absolutely come to fruition. So this is the perfect conversation for us to be having at Farm Her to talk about how art can affect us in our lives on a daily basis and specifically in agriculture. So welcome, Michael, to Farm Her Talks. We are so glad to have you here discussing how art can truly make a difference in agriculture as we talk about the really unique things that you guys are doing at the Des Moines Metro Opera. So first off, I always love to start my interviews with you telling me a little bit about yourself and your role at the Des Moines Metro Opera. Well, thank you for having me. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. And, and my my name is uh, Michael Eagle. I'm the general and artistic director for Des Moines Metro Opera. Um, I grew up in Iowa. Uh, I grew up in an agricultural community in, in northern Iowa, Algona. And through a strange series of un, of unusual life events, find myself as the uh, head of an opera company, which you wouldn't I would never uh, in a million years have ever guessed that was where I would wind up growing up in, in, in that, that uh, wonderful town there. Um, my job at uh, Des Moines Metro Opera is, uh, of course, I have two titles, general and artistic director, which means that uh, I'm in charge of um, the artistic product, but also the, uh, the the overall management of the organization and all of the um, uh, parts of the moving parts of the company that, that support the artistic product. Um, I sometimes think it's like being the circus master of a very large multi-ring circus um, in which you utilize all different parts of your brain simultaneously to bring 
um, uh, a herd of, of cats and, and circus animals and jugglers and everything um, all to the same place at the same time. Um, and you're, to oh, use an overused metaphor, uh, like 3D chess all the time, um, dealing from one second to the next with, with uh, you know, uh, board members to a wig designer, to an opera singer, to a set designer, to the marketing department, to the fundraising and the finance and uh, the orchestra and uh, the unions involved in, in opera making and art making. Uh, it's quite a lot all at once, but, but somehow or another for 50 years, we've managed to all uh, walk along the same path and, and wind up at a season every summer down here in Indianola. Yeah, I love it. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about like, when does your season run? I, I don't even know enough about the Des Moines Metro Opera, quite honestly. So I would love to hear a little bit. I know I know with uh, where we're at right now, you're heading into the really busy season. We, we are. We are. Our busiest time of the year is, is June and July. Um, June is our, our rehearsal month and July is our performance month. And we, we do three operas in repertory on the main stage down here in Indianola at the Blank Performing Arts Center. What that means is that each of the operas plays on a different night. You, you're constantly rotating to a different show um, so that people can come in for a weekend and catch for Friday and a Saturday and a Sunday and see something different each time been a great model for us over these years because it allows people to come in from out of town and to see a weekend of performances or to see, you know, to, to, to not only um, attract people from our local area who come in for one, two or three shows, but, but also to create a, a model that, that draws people in. Uh, and so each year it's, it's a roughly 40, 60 split. 60% uh, of the people coming from the Golden Circle and around the Des Moines metro area and um, the, 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 the smaller half. Um, I'm sorry, 60% coming from Golden Circle area and 40% coming from last year's far away is 43 states. So people, we are on the, the map for people traveling in to see opera. There's a group of people called cultural tourists uh, and they travel to see opera and, and uh, Des Moines is increasingly on their stop and we're proud of that. I love it. And did you mention Indianola, which is a community just south of Des Moines? Right. It's not terribly dissimilar for me from growing up in, in Algona, Iowa. It's, it's a largely agricultural community, um, I guess straddling the line between suburban to Des Moines and also independently and an ag agricultural community in, in Indianola or in, in Iowa. Um, so, yeah, that's where we are. We're in Indianola, the Simpson College campus. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, so like a little known fact that I never tell people because my uh, you mentioned a windy path, right, of you couldn't have predicted that you would land where you are. And, and life is always that windy path, I feel like for all of us. Right. And and sometimes you you could never figure out what that line would be. But I did like a one year stint at uh, Simpson my freshman year. Yeah, yeah. But um, my, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I went to college, like so many kids. Right. And so I had a business as my major and like, I, I was like, this is, this is not for me. So I transferred to somewhere where my degree was graphic design, journalism, and photography. Uh, I needed to find that creative space for myself. Uh, but I, I know that Simpson has a, a fabulous music program. Right. And so I remember the opera being a little part of, of, uh, some of my knowledge about that school. Yeah, we we uh, began 50 years ago as an outcropping of, of uh, the music department at Simpson College, faculty members and students and others that just wanted to do a professional summer company. But we've grown to something completely 
independent. Uh, we, we, well, we began independently, but we, we've, um, of course, grown to a, to a larger, much larger entity over these years. And I hear what you're saying about, um, you know, uh, the, the uh, reputation for Simpson as, as music school. I came with the idea of being in music, but I said to myself when I left, I'm, I'm not getting involved in that opera business that I know that they're in there. I am going to keep my, my laser focus on musical theater and uh, teach, get a teaching degree and go to Broadway. And uh, like I said, this is, lo and behold, here I am all these years later. I, I actually did succumb to the opera business. So. Never say never. That is, okay. I, I, have, I have that on a shirt that I wear because it, it's just a theme in life all of the time, right? So um, well, opera is just, it's, it's, it's storytelling through, through music, you know, and, and who wouldn't love that? And, and there's no difference between that and, and anything else. A, a song you hear on the radio, a Broadway musical, you know, it's, it's it, it, we, we like to draw lines, but, but in reality, um, if, if you just like to listen to stories and love music, you're going to find something to love in the opera. Absolutely. Uh, Farm her at the root of what we are. I mean, I started as a photography project. It grew into a business and um, we tell stories, right? And I think every single person listening, if you think you don't have a connection to this, you do because we all connect to stories, stories of people, right. stories of community, stories, stories that relate to us in some way, shape or form. So uh, you guys are telling a pretty big story, I think, coming up here this summer. So can you tell me a little bit about why the Des Moines Metro Opera commissioned uh, the opera that we're talking about that is this 50th anniversary gift to the world? Yeah. Well, we realized as we were approaching the 50th that we had reached a point where the company should be commissioning new work. Um, as a mature organization, uh, it's, it, it's almost expected of us. Um, you know, in today's opera performing landscape, um, commissioning a new work is, is almost a sign of having arrived as, as an organization, a way of, of leaving a mark on the repertory and of giving a living composer uh, a chance to tell a new story on the opera stage. Um, it, it builds our artistic cred and capital. <laughs> uh, it's a way for us to participate in the future of the art form rather than um, you know, simply representing pieces that are, are, are in existence. Um, and it appealed to us because it was a chance to tell our story, to tell an American story, um, an Iowa story through a modern lens and to really celebrate the beauty of storytelling um, in a way that we hope will resonate for, for years to come. Um, I believe that for opera to thrive in the future, we, we must continually add to the repertory and we really felt the time had come to do our part. And, and, and it's, it, it's intoxicating to think about the energy and the excitement and the pride that, that goes into creating something like this and to being able to uh, sit back at the end and say, we made that, that started here, that's ours. And that's what guided our choice to the source material. Yeah. And, and I love it. I mean, it's, it's a big splash right now and you're introducing it right uh, with this 50th anniversary, but um, I'm excited to, to see 10 years from now or, or more, you know, where, where this has gone in this story of rural Iowa really. And, and uh, you know, the story of people from rural Iowa has gone. So um, with that, the, the opera that you guys have commissioned is, is based on a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, book, right? Set in Iowa called A Thousand Acres. So can you tell me a little bit more about 
why you chose this book. What what was it about this story particularly that was this is where we're going to we're going to build from? Um, well, first of all, I I um, would probably bet that many people listening today uh, are are um, aware of or have read the book A Thousand Acres. It happens to be. Um, 30, exactly 30 years old this year. It was published published in 91 and won the Pulitzer Prize in 92, uh, just about uh, 30 years ago this this, this very month. Um, and it it was it's I, I think it's probably one of the most or the most important works of fiction to come out of um, uh, Iowa, which we have an Iowa uh, setting uh, in in recent. Uh, literary history. And so I think the choice of it as a subject for an opera company in Iowa really almost comes as no surprise. Um, it's set on an Iowa farm in the 1970s. Um, it happens to be a retelling of Shakespeare's famous play, King Lear, but seen through the eyes of the eldest daughter. Um, it's and, and so to us, it, it seems to not only be the, the kind of perfect melding of subject matter and locale, but something that felt very fresh and modern uh, and contemporary. And, and while I know that the, the book has a, a lot of significance and meaning to local audiences, it's also a story with uh, great scope and, and broad appeal. Um, we hope that it's, well, we know that it's a, a story in a book that is known well beyond the state of Iowa and you know, really around the world, Jane Smiley being one of our greatest living fiction writers currently. Um, it explores uh, really issues and themes that are still contemporary to us today. Um, and it it's perfectly placed in history, we think, uh, being 30 years old, that you also have some time now to kind of reflect on the trajectory that it's taken and the impact that this book has had on audiences. As we've as I've gone around in the community this, this last year, and as people have been finding out that we're setting this book to uh, the stage, um, I'm always struck by people who immediately say, oh, I remember when that book came out. I read it in high school. We read it in college. I just read it last month. Um, my family was so excited when that book was read because we finally it was published because it finally felt like a real story uh, to other people who say, oh, and we've read that book. We were so incensed. We couldn't believe it. You know, it was so, so uh, controversial. And it really, I think it was. Uh, and that's what's interesting about it. Someone said to me um, oh, that, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, the book. It just it's, it was so uh, the people in it, you know, just don't like the people, you know, they're just so nasty to one another, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, I, I knew all those people when I was growing up, I knew those characters, and I said, that's exactly why we want to make an opera out of it, because we want people to hear and see a story that, that they can relate to. So for me, that was a really ringing endorsement. I knew we had gotten the right, right uh, book when people said, I know all those people in that book. So Yeah, and I think, you know, that's the thing about storytelling. Um, you may not relate to every single part of it, but when you're when you're reading or watching or listening to a really good story, you can think, yeah, like I've been through that or my mom's been through that or somebody I know has gone through something like that. And then and then you have this connection to it that I think it helps us kind of learn and and heal and understand the world around us in a, in a different way. And, and that's what I love about this. But there are some extremely challenging themes 
um, you know, in this in this story, right? You've got land transition, which is one major theme, obviously, and and that's something that we talk about here at Farmher all the time because you have families who are also in the generational business of sure. of uh, carrying that on, right? And that is a, a difficult thing because of family relationships, right? You have some diff- very difficult things like incest, infidelity, miscarriage, cancer, all things that you know are hard to even bring up in in a conversation, obviously. So so can you talk a little bit more about some of those challenging themes and, and maybe how you guys are working with those? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It's, and, and it's one of the reasons why this book is such a, a rich and real um, experience for us to, to set into to themes. The, the long list of, or to set, set to, to, to um, opera, the, the list of themes, as you mentioned, is long. Uh, it's amazing to me that Jane, and that's one of the things I think that makes it such a masterpiece, really, uh, is that Jane takes this this laundry list of important uh, uh, themes in in agricultural communities and in families that that farm, and weaves them into this narratives, uh, this really complex narrative, so naturally, so beautifully. Um, that you're you're spellbound by it all. It feels real. It feels like this could honestly happen. And she tracks to King Lear so well. Just that's that's amazing to me that that she's able to do that and, and to do it so uh, incredibly. But yeah, the you know the the family conflict and the the land transfer, um, you know, patriarchy that's associated with a lot of these these decisions and, and actions and and um, um, uh, interactions with family legacy and the pressure of legacy, um, the strength and also the fragility of the ties that that bind us uh, and and uh, draw us together. Um, and the you know the the best thing of all the, the the greatest thing of all about the book is that it's told through the eyes of a female protagonist, um, which we love here uh, at DMMO because we 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 want to contribute to the idea of building repertory that features uh, strong uh, female characters. Uh, in fact, there are several of them in this this book and, and in our opera, uh, and that was a big part of of what drew us to this particular story, and part of what makes it still feel thirty years later um, so fresh and contemporary, uh, almost as if it could have been written the day before yesterday. Really, absolutely. So, along with this opera, you have a series called Acres Unearthed. I would love to hear more about what that is and how you're connecting to the community through that. Well, you know, you said it so beautifully at the top of the, the show that, um, uh, you know, the, that uh, art and, um, uh, and and agriculture really maybe make unexpected, but great bedfellows. You know, we, um, we believe very much in the, the, not only the power that art has, but the responsibility that we have as a company to not only, you know, present great shows, but to deal responsibly, responsibly with with uh, working within the community and with um, emphasizing those ties uh, and emphasizing the ways that that um, our own stories, our own themes, the things we deal with every day, connect really beautifully to the world around us. Um, it's it's just a big part of, of what we do and and what we believe. And and so we 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 knew with this long list of of uh, themes and, and um, um, plot lines and, and story twists and turns that this novel presented that we had an opportunity to connect 
with the community in a way that you know, many operas don't, don't present us with a chance to do. And so we wanted to make the most of it. We launched the series called Acres Unearthed, um, which is a series of uh, a, a number of community events um, around the state and within uh, Des Moines and our community um, to explore all the ways in which this piece uh, intersects with such a variety of disciplines and art forms and uh, uh, topics and, and with other organizations across our state. And, and, and so that's what we aim to do with this, this series called Acres Unearthed. So we recently uh, presented an, an afternoon called The Land in Transition at White Rock Conservancy, which was uh, a great opportunity for us to introduce some musical excerpts sung by cast members uh, of the newly uh, com composed opera Thousand Acres, but also to shine a spotlight on some other uh, art forms and, and other disciplines. Um, Mary Swander's one woman play, Map of My Kingdom, who I'm sure many of, of our listeners know or who maybe have even seen that play. Um, or read the book Bet the Farm by Beth Hoffman. Beth Hoffman joined us for that afternoon. Um, and it was a great opportunity for us to uh, connect uh, across disciplines uh, around this subject in this book, but also to utilize one of Iowa's most remarkable natural landscapes, the White Rock Conservancy, as a background for that. Um, and we sometimes use the term cross-pollinating audiences, uh, which is uh, a large part of what we're doing through these, these events. Um, we have a, a marvelous um, photography ex uh, exhibit uh, entitled The Sea Beneath Our Feet by uh, Iowa photographer Amy Ellis, um, who's utilized black and white photography to uh, reflect the Iowa landscape through the lens of the story of a thousand acres and, and using text and, and themes. One of the things I think that Jane does so beautifully in the book is to talk about the um, the the, the um, malleability of the farmscape over centuries and centuries, eons and eons, as, as really being a sea of movement and a sea of, of um, land beneath all of us and, and a sea to which all of us who live on this land belong and borrow that land, but ultimately will return to. I think it's a, a mind-blowing kind of concept. And Jane illustrates it in the book and Amy in her photographs as well. The Iowa Stage Theater Company is presenting King Lear and Shakespeare, at Shakespeare on the Lawn. In case you, you've never seen King Lear and you want to see how it uh, ties to um, the, the novel. And uh, Jane Smiley uh, back in Iowa uh, on July 9th to uh, attend the opening night performance as well. So quite a lot of things and it's all on our website as well for, for you if you would like to just look a little bit more about how we're connecting across disciplines through this series. I love that. And, and you talk about across disciplines, right? And and we hear the word art and, and I think we don't often stop to think about how broad that is, right? Whether it's the written word, whether it's uh, events like what you're doing with the opera, whether it's, uh, you know, the photography, all of those different parts and pieces that lend something, lend another lens, if you will, to how we see the world around us. And um, you know, talking about cross-pollinating too, uh, you know, prioritizing these conversations with the agriculture community, I think is incredibly important. You know, the the word art doesn't come up often enough, I think, in rural communities, uh, you know, and I think it's an extremely important thing to all of us to to think about it a little bit differently and, and how this might help us connect, might help us grow, might help us learn. Um, and in an area where I always tell people, you know, 
all around the world. It, you may not think you have a direct con- connection to agriculture, but if, if you got to eat today, you absolutely do. And art is the same way. I can guarantee that all of us cross paths with, with art and it enriches our lives in some way, shape or form, even if we're not uh, constantly aware of that, right, on a daily basis. And so I really love what you guys are doing here. Um, and bringing the community together, bringing the agriculture community into this as well and and helping people, um, you know, see this story through a different lens. So it's very exciting. We'll check back in with Michael at the end of the show. But next, I'm going to chat with Liz Garst, who joins us from the White Rock Conservancy, along with Mary Swander, whose play Map of My Kingdom was part of the event held there in partnership with the opera. So welcome, ladies. I'm so glad to have you on Farm Her Talks. And first off, I want to make sure that I get to know each of you and that our listeners get to meet each of you as well. So we we know what amazing women we're talking with. So we're going to start with Liz. Can you tell me just a little bit about yourself, Liz? I was uh, born and raised in Coon Rapids, Iowa, and I'm the fifth generation of Garth in Coon Rapids, uh, and I still live here. I was... Uh, uh, raised uh, working on the farm, so I did a lot of sorting of cattle, etc. in my youth. Uh, had uh, the chance to get a great education, went away to see the world uh, by working for the Peace Corps and the World Bank for a few years, but then came back home. Uh, I've been the business manager of the Garst family businesses in farming and banking for about 20 years. Okay, well, thank you. And, uh, you know, I sit right here in central Iowa. Of course, we'll have listeners from all over the place in this podcast, but the Garst family name is definitely a name uh, in agriculture that uh, has permeated throughout. So welcome. Nice to have you and uh, appreciate that. So um, Liz, did you tell us where you went to school in that? I'm sorry if, if you already said that. Uh, no, I uh, went to uh, Stanford University as an undergraduate and got a degree in English literature and having fun on the Pacific Ocean and listening to the Grateful Dead. <laughs> uh, but then I got a little more serious about school and uh, went to Michigan State University and got a master's degree in agricultural economics. And then went to the Peace Corps and worked in agricultural economics and then uh, figured out I wanted more practical education. So I went back and got an MBA from Harvard University with an emphasis in uh, farm management. Okay, wonderful. All kinds of things there. And, and uh, life is a windy path, right? And sometimes it takes us a little time to figure out uh, when we're going to get a little more serious about it. So uh, I appreciate that. Um, and then I have one more question for you, Liz, before we jump over to Mary. So we're talking about White Rock Conservancy a little bit today as well. So can you tell us a little bit about um, your decision to be a board member and a volunteer for White Rock Conservancy? I sure can. But uh, more fundamentally, I'm one of the founders of White Rock Conservancy, along with my uh, sisters and my now deceased mother. Uh, years ago, I should explain that my family's been buying land around Grand Rapids for, you know, 150 years. Uh, when my dad died, we had a lot of discussions about what to do with all this land. And with the help of the Iowa Natural Heritage Foundation, we decided to, we, we really wanted to protect a lot of it. Uh, and that the best way to protect it would be to give it away. 
uh, we spent quite a bit of time figuring out who to give it to, and in the end, uh, decided to start a new nonprofit called White Rock Conservancy. It was founded in 2004, and the Garst family has been gifting land to White Rock uh, every, most every year for years and years now. White Rock's now about uh, 4,000 acres, and we still have more than 1,000 acres to gift to White Rock. Uh, the board of directors of White Rock is controlled by non-GARS. They're the owners of the land. But there are three GARS on the board of 14, and I'm one of those. So I'm still very involved, even though we've given away the land. Absolutely. And can you tell me where White, White Rock Conservancy is? Sure. It's on both sides of the Middle Raccoon River from uh, the town of Coon Rapids uh, off to the southeast in Guthrie County. Okay, wonderful. Uh, so, it's got seven miles of contiguous river valley. And a little about what White Rock's about. It has a three-part mission statement. One part is natural resource protection and restoration, which is a lot about oak savanna restoration, dark sky preservation. We have interest in geology, etc. cetera. Uh, the second part of the mission statement is sustainable agriculture, both in row crop and pasture techniques. And the third part of the mission statement is to welcome people to White Rock to learn more about agriculture and the environment. And uh, to that end, we have uh, quite a, a variety of fun accommodations to stay at at White Rock Conservancy. And we have a 40-mile trail system, including a river trail. It sounds like an amazing place. Uh Whenever people say that Iowa is flat, I always say you're absolutely wrong. We have all of these treasures hidden throughout, and I think this sounds like one of them. And what a great way to preserve the land and um, the agriculture and to be able to teach people in what sounds like a, a really amazing um, place. So thank you for that. So let's jump over to Mary. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, Mary? Yeah, well, in my younger years, I grew up in Manning, just down the road from Liz, and um, my mother's family homesteaded in Carroll County, and so uh, my grandmother still ran the family farm outside of town, and then we moved to Davenport, and I went on to Georgetown University, and then... uh, I walked into the dean's office and told him I wanted to be a writer. What should I do next? And he said, oh, you need to go to Iowa. <laughs> and I said, no, you're not going to send me back there. And, and he, he said, absolutely, I am. So I ended up uh, getting my MFA at the Iowa Writers Workshop. And then I taught around the country a bit and ended back up in Iowa again at uh, Iowa State University where I was uh, a tenured professor, rose through the ranks to distinguished professor, and then became the Poet Laureate of Iowa for 10 years, and during which time I founded a nonprofit called Ag Arts, which has a mission to imagine and promote healthy food systems through the arts and that I'm running that nonprofit now in addition to um, doing my own work I'm a well-published author and I'm now living in an old one-room schoolhouse near Kelowna Iowa in the middle of the Amish uh, area 
I am so glad that you both found your way back to Iowa uh, as a, a, a person myself who grew up um, with a family engaged in agriculture here in Iowa. Um, I always say I leave all the time, but Iowa is home and uh, clearly it is for both of you as well. So Mary, can you tell me a little bit about your play Map of My Kingdom? Yes. Um, Map of My Kingdom was originally commissioned by Practical Farmers of Iowa. And one of the problems, the big problems that they saw was farmland transition. And they wanted me to write a play. I've been writing plays about agricultural issues and the director, Teresa Ophine, called me in one day and said, I'd like you to tackle this. And my family had been through that. I had I had either been part of or heard the stories about farmland transition for four generations in our family. And I, you know, it can be so tricky and so problematic. And I was like, no, 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 I just can't go there. I can't do go through that again. No, 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 no. <laughs> so I turned down the project. And then Teresa came back to me. Uh, about a year later, and she's like, you know, pretty please, could you please do this now? And so, um, yeah, I took it on, and I wrote the play. Like, the framework of it is about a mediator. The main character is a farmland mediator who works with families who have issues about farmland transition, and then she it's a one woman show and she tells the stories of different farm families that she's worked with, you know, and some families are really functional and they work it out very, very well. It still takes some effort, but you know, they have a family harmony and communication that works well and other families can just blow up over the issues. So map my kingdom. So we've done hundreds of performances now coast to coast across the United States. I've taken bits of it to Europe and uh, it, it has really, really had legs. And so this is actually our first live performance since the pandemic started, which <laughs> halted all performances. Uh, performing arts have really taken a hit during the last two years. So we're happy to be at White Rock and Liz and I have worked together um, with Ag Arts doing artist residencies in the beautiful river house there. So I'm I'm really pleased that the show will be performed um, at White Rock. Mary, I just wanted to tell you that your play really does have legs. Uh, I, uh, in my other life, I'm a banker and I've arranged to have your play shown to bank customers. And I sort of indirectly got, I think, your play in front of the Iowa Bankers Association. Right. Bankers also have to deal with uh, these farm transition issues. Our customers uh, have huge wealth, and a lot of them haven't planned adequately for that. So we ended up at the Mayo Clinic with it through that contact with the Banker Association. That was really, really interesting um, production. So bankers, lawyers, accountants, there's a whole team of people that work in this issue, farmland managers. So thank you, Liz, for your support. 
I, I love this. And you know, the theme really running throughout this podcast is how agriculture connects with art and, and where those meet, right? And this play is the perfect example of that because I, I have heard of it. I have seen parts and pieces of it as well. And so um, it's it's really an, an important thing for us to continue to talk about, about where those two meet and even extend into the business world, as you said. Um, and we, one of the topics that comes up on, I would say over half of our podcasts is family issues uh, and a lot of those circling around transition of land, right? And when you're working with your family and when you have assets like that, that need to be protected for generations, it's it's a real issue. And so I really love this take on using art and, and using this play to help people understand it in maybe a different way. Um, as uh, I said earlier, um, the opera is, the opera held an event at White Rock Conservancy um, and Map of My Kingdom was a part of that event. So Liz, I would love to talk to you about how you weave in additional artists from Ag Arts in residence, such as Annie Chapman Brewer and the work of Mary into White Rock Conservancy. Sure. Just to drop back a little bit, uh, uh, White Rock sponsored several years ago a rural art conference, uh, which was very influential in the town of Coon Rapids. And so the town of Coon Rapids has worked on art as a project for many years now in conjunction with White Rock Conservancy. So we have a beautiful uh, David Dahlquist sculpture at the entrance to town. We have a sculpture park right across the home farm, uh, which I hope uh, people who came to the event had a chance to go visit, etc. We've done a lot with art over the years. Uh, Several years ago, I moved into my mother's house and that left my house vacant. And I wanted to keep control of my house because I like to put my family up there and Christmas and deer hunting. Uh, so I uh, started the artist in residency program just as a way to fill my house and enrich us all. I've had a wonderful time meeting all the artists that have come there. Uh, Mary supplies perhaps a half of the artists that come to the River House Artists in Residency, and she specializes especially in writers, uh, which is, of course, part of the arts. I've also had quite a number of visual artists there, uh, which has also been a real pleasure. Uh, the event, of course, featured uh, our French horn player, uh, and Annie Chapman Brewer, uh, she's uh, came as a French horn player. All the artists are expected to work on their own enrichment, uh, but do something for White Rock. And she composed this lovely French horn piece. And uh, ever since she uh, wrote that piece and first performed it, I've been looking for a way to share it more broadly, not just on the internet, but live performance. So it was thrilling to have her here to actually get to do the event live. Absolutely. Uh, you know, such great things come from these collaborations, I'm sure for the artists, for the people who live in the area and who are able to attend a lot of these events, and for the people who travel there for these events as well. So um, like I said, I, I just can't express how 
appreciative I am. And I think that it is an exciting thing for other people who may not have a chance to interact with art very often, right? To engage in some of these really unique ways that connect with their lives uh, if they are in rural America or if they are engaged in agriculture in some way. It's, it's definitely a different perspective, but that's where we all grow. And that's where we all, I think, become better people as well. Um, so Wonderful, wonderful stuff. So Mary, um, you said that, uh, I guess, part of what caused you to not want to write the play was the issues around land transition. Uh, but, but you eventually did decide to write the play. Can you tell us a little bit about how long it's been running and what the audience response has been? Because I, I have a feeling it's been um, pretty overwhelming. It has. It's been out for about seven years now, and um, but minus two for the pandemic. So uh, we're out there touring, I guess, for about five years. And um, we all, we always have a talk back afterwards, which is um, the author, me, or sometimes the actors running a discussion uh, with the audience afterwards. And um, that can be as dynamic as the play. I've had people stand up and burst into tears when they wanted to ask their question. I've had a, I've had people, I had a woman burst into tears and she said, you know, I'm from a German family and I was the one that wanted to farm and in the German tradition, the farm goes to the oldest son. So all sorts of and, you know, she's like, my brothers didn't want to farm. And so there's all sorts of cultural issues that arise from that. Like in the Amish tradition where I'm surrounded by my neighbors, it goes to the youngest. And mostly the son, but it cannot also be the daughter. So those factors come in. There's also off-farm siblings they've left they've you know they're doctors or lawyers in the twin cities and then how do you deal with them if you give the farm to the you know to the offspring that's been there working for side by side with the parents for 25 years there's just a whole array of things what do you do with elder care who's going to be responsible for that so there's just you know the whole dynamic of the family of the region plays into this. There's, you know, I've worked with farmers who've been just really pressured with urban sprawl and they're trying to keep a farm going. They don't want to sell it, but they're so pressured. So yeah, I think everybody will see a little something of themselves. And if you don't own a farm, you know, (laughs) most of us own something and, uh, and you have to deal with this as an end of life issue how you're going to create your estate so um it's been very interesting i've also taught workshops when i toured the play and the most interesting thing was on those workshops this is often i'd have a farm family come with three generations of folks from the family like the grandpa who had the farm the son who was doing all the work currently and then they'd have the you know like the teenage grandchildren who are interested in the farm and they would all sit down and the exercise was to write a letter of your vision of the farm in the future, what you wanted to happen on that farm in the future. So they all had input on that. And that's really the way to do it. The old fashioned way of, you know, 
grandpa or grandma writes a will and nobody knows what's in it until, you know, he or she passes and then everybody, you come in for the reading of the will and then everybody starts fighting. I don't recommend that. And uh, it, it's so much better to have it a cooperative um, situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, one more question for each of you, and, and we'll, we'll roll this all back to a, to a very high level. Why is promoting our experiences in, in rural communities, in, in your home communities right here in Iowa, um, so important to you? And we'll start with Liz. Why, why is it so important to you, Liz? I think uh, an enriched cultural life, arts, is just a super part, important part of quality of life. And uh, rural Iowans deserve quality of life, too. We, it's an important part of our culture here in rural Iowa to have art. Uh, it's not just in Des Moines. Uh, it needs to be broadcast amongst us. Absolutely. We always hear about, uh, you know, music, art, those types of programs, you know, those are the things that go away or have the least amount of resources um, as communities get smaller and, and shrink and, and maybe schools get smaller. And I think it's it's so incredibly important for all of us who, who care about that to keep that forefront. So thank you. So Mary, can you also uh, share your thoughts on this question? Why promoting experiences with art in rural communities is so very important to you? Absolutely. It's cultural enrichment. It's also economic development. Uh, I taught for 30 years at Iowa State and every spring I had a class of graduating seniors and they all, always, we had this discussion, you're not going to make us stay in Iowa, are you? And I, you know, and I would always say, well, what, what, why not? What's the drawback? And they'd say, you know, there's no, nothing happening here for us. There, there are no you know, if we move back to a rural area, we don't have arts, we don't have recreational outlets. You know, we want to keep really good people in the state and they have to have some way to be cohesive with the community. And this is, you know, this is one of the ways. And there are a lot of other advantages to art. Not only does it help you being creative, it helps you think in different ways with different perspectives. It broadens your horizon. It uh, allows you to problem solve, uh, you know, just more creatively. And so I think back, you know, I think back to my days in Manning, actually, and the arts were everywhere. The, you know, we had oompa bands, you know, I don't know how many of them. We had you know, somebody who taught dance, the woman across the street was a wonderful, wonderful musician. We need to keep all of those things going and nurture them. Absolutely. Well, thank you to both of you for the effort, the energy, uh, for, for nurturing those those things right here in Iowa. Um, it was wonderful to, meet, wonderful to meet you and hear from you and learn about the work that you're both doing to combine art and agriculture together. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. So we've covered land transition, mental health, and some other really tough topics on our podcast in the past. Michael, can you share more about how our listeners might reflect on an art experience that challenged them emotionally? Well, art does its best when it's not operating in a vacuum. 
In fact, uh, it, it's really wonderful when, it, when we can introduce uh, tough topics and allow us to talk about uh, things we might not uh, be comfortable talking about otherwise or to introduce uh, uh, tough subjects. Um, and, and provide us with an example or an outlet to, to understand how to work through those topics or, or to understand and process our own emotions, um, to relate to somebody else who has uh, gone through something that we may have gone through. And really, if a thousand acres, um, you know, somebody comes to the opera or reads the book and leaves the experience um, better processing, better understanding something that they have experienced or their own um, story, um, that is, uh, that's wonderful. Um, that's what we want to do. Um, you know, it's um, the character of Ginny, uh, in, who is the, the protagonist in the opera, um, a lot of the book, it's fascinating the way Jane Smiley writes it because she, she tells it, she relates the story, you know, she, it's, it's a memory story in a sense. So we, we begin by knowing that she knows the outcome of, of what happens to her story. And, and she, she, she reflects and she's looking back, it's retrospective. Uh, but even as she's retelling the story to us, the readers and, and in the opera, part of that act is her making sense of her story while she's retelling it coming to grips with the challenging things that she has experienced, um, making sense of it and moving on then processing those emotions and figuring out what the future for uh, her is. And we as readers get to watch her do that and experience that and hopefully in some way do that ourselves. Um, that's, that's really wonderful. And that's, that's what I think art should do. And, and that's what we aim to do with this production. Absolutely. You know, we all take something a little different away from any story, from, from any piece of art. And, and I think that's a great reflection. Um, so what resources does the opera provide for those who are going through or have who have already gone through some of these difficult situations? Well, one of the things that we that will is very important to us because this does you know this subject and and many of the themes in the book that we have already discussed uh, are um, sensitive themes, uh, challenging themes, potentially uh, triggering themes for some people. Uh, particularly as it relates to memories and uh, uh, you know, family ties, even delving into incest. Um, and I think even in some of the early rehearsals that we've had, um, it's one thing to read these in a book. It's another thing, even in more entirely, to experience, to watch it on stage or to be in a, in a collective room with other people. Um, you know, watching this kind of unfold in, in real time around you. And so we're giving a lot of thought to uh, providing resources, on-site resources during the performances for people who, who might immediately need to talk to somebody, you know, potentially a mental health counselor. And we're also doing that for the cast. As difficult as it is for the audience to, um, you know, uh, uh, experience that on stage as the characters are going through it, our cast members, as they're rehearsing this piece, have to, um, you know, kind of find a way to process these emotions and, and these themes that they're playing out. 
um, on stage day after day as we prep this opera and rehearsal. And so providing those resources, mental health resources and, and uh, outlets for people to talk about, you know, their feelings and, and what this might bring up for, for them um, is important. And I think it's responsible art making. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it will bring up, I'm sure, all kinds of things uh, as, as people experience it. So, okay. So I do want to say too that, that uh, one of the things that Jane does in the book and that we are going to attempt to do in the um, novel that, that Jane did not get from King Lear, so this is an improvement, but um, she, she adds a sense of hope to the end of the piece. Um, King Lear doesn't do that. Shakespeare didn't do that. Everyone in the whole story, I think, winds up dead at the end. And the stage is littered with bodies and people that just don't make it to the end. And Jane, you know, very, very um, purposefully and very brilliantly gives Ginny an out at the end of the story. She has uh, a future uh, and she has Rose's two daughters that she's left to raise who also, for the first time, represent a future for the women uh, uh, outside the, the the tragedy that that you know befalls them in the story, but they have a future and they have hope at the end, and and that's a really uh, great thing to to focus on to leave the story with. So, Michael, can you tell us a little bit more about the focus on female creators, which I have to say is near and dear to our heart with Farm Her, right? Of, of how we have focused on what women do and and bring to agriculture. Um, but I understand that you guys have have a real kind of unique focus on females. Yeah, we we the opera is being composed by Kristen Custer, who is an amazing uh, composer uh, with a, an incredible resume already of, of orchestral music and and chamber music uh, that that she's written, um, very well known uh, in her, her uh, compositions for the the orchestra. When we commissioned this opera from Jane Smiley, we we knew that it was the the absolute perfect vehicle to give that. Uh, commission to a, com a female composer. And we considered a large number of contemporary American female composers um, and uh, people with all ranges of experience in, in composing to for the opera, uh, people who were very experienced to, to newer. Um, and Kristen Custer was the ideal choice. She um, she has a particular way of, of writing, not only for the orchestra, but that that there's an understanding of the landscape in her writing. So three important things to her are uh, weather and nature and landscape. And those are, those are three things that are, are themes in her music. And when we listen to many of her compositions, we could hear the story, we could hear the music, we could hear the Iowa landscape in her, in her writing. And we knew she was exactly the right choice. Um, this will be her first evening length opera. She's written some chamber length shows, some shorter operas. Um, and so we're excited to, to you know, have her make her, her evening length, uh, full length opera debut uh, with us this summer. Um, it's been great to get to know her. She's absolutely a salt of the earth and great, great uh, personality and great sense of humor and great colleague. Um, so we're, we're thrilled about that and to have her with us. Good. Well, I, I love the focus and, you know, um, once again, broadening, broadening horizons, expanding our minds and seeing things from a little bit of a different perspective, I think, are always a good thing. Absolutely. That's what we do. <laughs>
You are definitely leaving me with wanting more. I cannot wait to to experience this myself. Uh, so can you tell me where and when and how people can find out more and, and what some of the important dates are? Yeah, uh, well, we we want you to want more. And, you know, I, I, I always say that um, if you don't think opera is for you, just give us a chance. I certainly didn't think opera was for me 20 years ago. That's for sure. Here I am. <laughs> so I feel like if I can be won over by it, I think anybody can. And uh, we aim to do that. So we hope you'll you'll give us the opportunity to to win you over. Um, our performances of a thousand acres run from July 9th, which is opening night, uh, for five performances on July 13th, 17th, 19th, and 22nd. Uh, and information uh, is available at Des Moines Metro Opera.org. Uh, people can also call our office at any point in time at, at uh, 515-961-6221, and we're happy to, to uh, hook people up with tickets or to answer any questions as well. Okay, and that website again, what is the website? Des Moines Metro Opera.org, okay. and we hope we will see everyone for uh, Kristen Custer and Mark Campbell's uh, world premiere of uh, musical setting of a thousand acres by Jane Smiley. Absolutely. Well, I I so appreciate this conversation. Uh, like I started this with, where agriculture and art meet, I think is a really important place for all of us to think about, and especially for those of us who uh, may fall in the creative side of things sometimes, uh, even while running a business, um, it, it's important for us to think about how we can help invite everybody into that conversation. And, and this is doing just that. So Michael, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing all of the good things that the opera is doing. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Support for this podcast comes from the Des Moines Metro Opera, which is currently celebrating its 50th anniversary season. Their 2022 Summer Festival continues a tradition of artistic excellence with four new productions running July 1st through July 24th. In addition to the world premiere of A Thousand Acres, audiences can enjoy a new production of Benjamin Britten's A Midsummer Night's Dream, the Iowa premiere of Porgy and Bess, featuring hometown artistic icon Simon Estes, and a new production of American Apollo. For more information or to order tickets, visit Des Moines Metro Opera.org.